All right. Well, let's go ahead and get started tonight um, in uh, our study in the book of First John. And uh, we're kind of moving forward with uh, the first few verses uh, that we've been taking a look at. Um, and uh, last week we covered uh, some of the principles uh, and the importance behind the book itself and uh, John and uh, him, him being a teacher and showing uh, how to study and, uh, again, how to see and uh, the things uh, from God in his word. Uh, also, we talked uh, quite a bit about the word of life. And uh, we want, I want to move forward into this uh, next verse, where again it talks about uh, this life that is given to us, uh, a little bit more detail, a few more verses to kind of uh, fill this in and get an understanding what this life is about. Um, you know, this world has an understanding and a comprehension that is not godly of what they think the word the the, the, the word life means. They, they understand that there is a, but a, a brief time that we're here. Um, and the way that they respond to the things of this life, the way that they respond to life itself clearly demonstrates they don't understand the principle of what living a life really means. So, uh, we're going to take a look at that in just a minute. Uh, but let's go ahead and get started. Let's open with a word of prayer. We'll get right into the study and uh, just start getting uh, getting into um, what the Lord has for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for a time and opportunity to be in your word. And Lord, we thank you again for preserving it for us and giving it to us, that we would have these words of life, that we would have uh, what you've uh, given to us that shows us very clearly uh, the need for a Savior and what you've done to provide salvation, and Lord, uh, how you so freely give. <coughs> Thank you again for what you did for us on the cross and through the resurrection that we would have this life. And I pray, Lord, that as we uh, contemplate these things and as we meditate upon it, that, Lord, you would just uh, have your Holy Spirit teach us and guide us and direct us. And again, Lord, I thank you for um, those that are here tonight and pray, Lord, that uh, they would just be blessed by your word and uh, again, become, uh, just be fruitful with it and use it in their lives to grow in you. And thank you again for all you've done for us. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So in John, uh, first John chapter one, we left off right around that verse two mark. We'll back up to verse 1 just again for that context. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and uh, our hands have handled of the word of life. For the word of life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show it unto you, uh, you that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that we may, uh, that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So we see a, a few mentions in here, uh, not just necessarily, uh, talking about in verse two where, uh, he was manifest, but we see some important things that he mentions about being seen and being handled being seen and, and being handled. And, and that is an important principle. If a person does not believe that Jesus Christ came here in the flesh on earth to die on the cross for our sins in a physical form and to raise again 
with that physical form uh, also, uh, then there's really going to be a hard time showing them uh, anything from Scripture. Uh, because again, it always comes down to what do we believe about Jesus Christ? Uh, you know, people, again, will talk about how they believe in God, but to, to, to get to the real root of the issue, you have to ask them, uh, do you believe Jesus Christ is God and he came and died on the cross for your sins that you may have eternal life through him? Uh, if they don't believe that, then they're relying on something else. They're not relying on the shed blood of Jesus Christ uh, for uh, uh, taking care of sins. They're not relying on the power of his resurrection. They're relying on something else. So we have to really get down to the nitty gritty of what this is about and what uh, what the Lord is showing. If you again to parallel this, uh, keep your place here and go over to the book of John, the Gospel of John, in John chapter one, and we see again that what John writes here, and, and, and again uh, this is an important principle. <clears throat> in verse uh, verse nine. It talks about that was the true light, capital L, talking about Jesus Christ. It is one of his names, light, uh, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Verse 10 is a very important verse, because it demonstrates the Trinity, and it demonstrates the deity of God, uh, of Jesus Christ as God. Because it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But right here, it says that Jesus Christ created the heavens and the earth. And there are people like Muslims will read through that and say, well, that's a contradiction. Not if you believe they're one and the same. Not if you believe they're one and the same, which they don't. Oh, they will absolutely say, we believe that Jesus Christ existed. We believe that Jesus Christ uh, was, uh, 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 was, a, was a man of God, a prophet of God. That he had uh, good words to speak that uh, were to be followed. Uh, we believe that he was uh, like the prophet Muhammad, but not unto the prophet Muhammad. Um, because again, they, they, they deify Muhammad. Not, not necessarily Allah, but um, that's a different subject matter. But uh, what we see is uh, they, will, they will say that, but they'll say, oh yeah, we believe that uh, he died, but he really didn't die, that, Jesus, that, that God took Jesus and put another man in his place that looked like Jesus to die be, so he would save him and Jesus Christ lived a long life here on earth. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible says. So it creates a contradiction with the Quran. Creates contradiction with the Quran because the, uh, the Quran says that if you have a problem understanding the Quran, you need to go to those that had the word, the Bible first. And that's the Christian and the Jews. Two groups that they really hate. So in order to be a good Muslim, you have to have good re- uh, relations with them. But they don't. That's a side note, but moving on from that, verse 10 is one of those important principles, but it very clearly it says the world knew him not. They did not recognize him as God. And we talked about that when we were talking about the spirit of God, uh, spirit of the Lord over there in Isaiah chapter 11, the spirit of knowledge that we wrapped up last week uh, with, with, uh, with that subject and knowing who God is, knowing Jesus Christ. It's not just some casual acquaintance. It's a, it's a deep personal relationship. And there's a difference between an acquaintance and a relationship. One that uh, the Lord is uh, demonstrating to us 
is a real true relationship. He knows so much more about you than you know about yourself. And I'll tell you, that's one of the key things about knowing about a relationship is knowing somebody. Knowing somebody. Who are they? What do they desire? What pleases them? Those type of things, which is why we should be endeavoring every single day to know more and more about the Lord. He says in verse 11, he says, he came unto his own and his own received him not. They rejected him. They refused him. The Jews crucified him. He came to set up a kingdom for them, and they refused him. Why? Because they couldn't fathom the fact that he had to be a savior before he could be a king. Why was that? Because they believed they were righteous, and they didn't need God's righteousness. Paul covers that over in the book of Romans. So when we get down to this a little bit further, it says, but as many as received him to him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. There's the adoption that we see, even them that believe on his name, there's salvation. There's the, the, the receiving of Christ. But what we find here, he says in verse 13, which were born, not of, uh, blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And we talked about that this morning, the operation that was performed without hands over there in the Colossians. Those things that we, look, you can't save anybody. You can't save a person's soul. You may be able to pull them away from the truck that's about ready to run them over. You may save them from eating poison. But you can't offer salvation unto eternal life. You can't offer to become the sons of God. There are people out there today that say, if you give me X amount of money, I, I can do that. A while ago, I, I, I made an, uh, uh, a comment about it. If you wanted to become an apostle of Jesus Christ, you, all you had to do was go and pay a fee. It was a, it was a, it was a one-time fee of, uh, I forget what it was. It was something like, uh, um, I think it was uh, uh, $500. But if your spouse wanted to become apostle too, uh, they could do a two for one deal for seven fifty, <laughs> something like that. No, that's not how these things work. That's that's it's not bought by money. It's not it's not purchased with physical things. The only thing that it was purchased with was with the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That was the cost of redemption. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, is what Scripture says. So here we are at this point where he says, look, this isn't, this wasn't done of man. This wasn't something that man wills. This isn't something that man brings to fruition, but God does. And this is important because he moves into verse 14 where he talks about the manifestation of Christ, where it says in verse 14, it says, and the word was made flesh. He took his word and formed it into a physical sense, a physical, excuse me, a physical being, Jesus Christ, and, and, and put him here on earth as himself. And he says, and dwelt among us. And he says in parentheses here, and we beheld his glory and the glory, uh, glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. And this is something that it becomes extremely important for a Christian to read and to understand because what they saw was they saw the glory of Christ. They saw the glory of Christ, what he did, everything that he was doing, all of those things. He saw that 
very, very clear, uh, clearly, and he's saying we all saw it as the uh, as the twelve, as the eleven, eventually, and even Matthias being included in there. He, that was part of the deal of what he had to see. But he saw all those things. They saw all of that. They saw that that Jesus Christ was not just a man, but he was man and God. And that is an important principle that is being taught throughout the Gospels. But what we find is John is focusing on Jesus Christ is God. There is no, there's no way to get around it. And he's bearing, he's showing glory. Now, if there's one thing that you know is that uh, any type of spiritual entity that desires glory, honor, and praise and worship that is not God is is devilish. So when the angels show up and they do stuff and these people bow down to them, the angels would say, nope, I'm just like you, stand up. I'm just like you, stand up. They weren't going to receive the worship. What did they do? They kept pointing to the Lord. They kept pointing to the Lord. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. He continued to point to Christ. He continues to point to Christ. He continues to point to Christ. You know, you realize that that's the job of the church? We are to point to Christ. Amongst ourselves, we are to point to Christ. Not make it about us. Not manifest it about us. Not say we're the ones that have got the corner on salvation. No, God does. Jesus Christ does. That's the only way to have that eternal life, as he says. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. Nobody can get to see the Father unless they are fully associated, and if you will, have that relationship with Christ, meaning that they are saved, born again, son of God, a child of God. They can't do that. And here he goes on in, in verse 15, I want to make mention of this because it will become important in the uh, the next uh, the topic discussion, or, uh, topic that we're going to look at here in verse 15. It says, John bear witness of him. John bear witness. You know, a lot of people saw Jesus Christ. Thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands saw him. They could testify. Blind Bartimaeus could testify. The servant girl could testify. Peter's mother could testify. All of them could testify and be a witness if you will, in court, to say, we have seen him. And he has done great and mighty works. He's done great and mighty works. But here we see that going back to John, First uh, John chapter 1, we see that we, he says here, we've seen and we've handled. We've seen and we handled. You know, that is one thing that, you know, I, I don't want to say that I am envious because envy is a sin. Jealousy is not necessarily a sin because God is a jealous God. But, you know, I'm kind of jealous that uh, John and James and Peter and all them got to actually see him face to face like that and actually touch him. Do you imagine that? 
But I mean, there's other things that I'm not going to sit there and, and be malcontent and unthankful for what I have. I mean, we have the complete written word of God. They didn't. I can pack it around. I can put it on my telephone. They had to drag scrolls around on camels. I can do it in my little electric soul, my Kia. Because we all know that the soul is the only car that a pastor should ever have. <laughs> Pastor's got to have a soul, right? Amen. But, but, but you see that, that, that life that he talks about in the, in the first few verses, the words of life, he's saying it was manifested. So not only was Jesus Christ manifested in his physical form, but he manifested what that life is like. He manifested what that life is like. And, and you know, he went through everything that we went through. There were periods of time where he was grieved. He, it says Jesus wept. There, there were, there were times where he, he, if you will, groaned within himself. There were times he got angry, which I know, you know, clearly shows that anger is not sinful. How you use it is sinful. That's why we got to be careful. Those emotions given by God, got to be careful with them. But I will tell you, very clearly, we see all of those things. He got angry because of the hardness of hearts of the Pharisees over there in the book of Mark. He goes and heals the man with the withered hand, and before he does that, he says, is it wrong to heal on the Sabbath day? And they wouldn't answer him because they were scared. Because they knew that regardless of how he answered, he was going to nail them to the wall. And they weren't going to have an opportunity to, you know, to defend themselves because he was going to essentially take their defense and destroy it so they didn't answer a thing. Jesus Christ saw right through that. As God, he saw right into their hearts and he was angry because of the hardness of their hearts. Refusing to acknowledge. Refusing to receive. But what we see is we see all of those principles about how that life is manifested. Not only in the, 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 the physical sense did he manifest that life, but he manifested it in the spiritual as examples of what to do and how to respond. How to respond when people betray you. How to respond when people don't believe you. How to respond when people reject the truth. How to respond when they deny. He made it very clear. And this word of life that he's also manifesting, he's talking about the salvation and the eternal life that we have. Because he begins to talk about that, and he talks about that eternal life, and he says that in verse 2, and he says, and bear witness and show it unto you that eternal life. You know, James and, and John and, and all of those disciples were able to see what was it waiting for them on the other side. They weren't able to see it in detail. John got a little picture of it when he saw that throne and the 24 elders and the four cherubim. As I've said before, if a cherubim ever shows up, man alive, you got to be in some serious trouble. Ezekiel describes it. He got to see some of that. Isaiah got to see that. There were select people that got to see some of that. But what we begin to realize is that John's not talking about what he begins to see in that physical sense. He's talking about he sees that path to the eternal life. He sees exactly what God had set forth. 
He sees God's plan. He sees God's design. Here, as, as John the Baptist would say, bold Lamb of God, which cometh to take away the sins of the world, paraphrasing. But what we find here is we find he makes a, a statement here where he's bearing witness and showing it. He's showing you that eternal life. That is one of the greatest witnesses and testimony that you can have is that you can show you've got eternal life. That you can show that you've got eternal life. You know what that means? The things of this world don't bother you much. What people say about you doesn't bother you much. The heartaches and the problems that happen in this world don't bother you the way it does an uh, unsaved person. You know, Paul talks about that with the Thessalonians over there, where he says, uh, 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 talking to him about those that have uh, died, and, he, and specifically even referencing people that have passed because of martyrdom. He's like, you know, you're going to see them again. We don't sorrow the same way others sorrow, do we? The saved loved one passes away, we know we'll see them once again. Man, can you imagine imagine the reunion when that happens? I don't even know. I mean, I don't even know how long that's going to take. But in 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 light of a timeless God in eternity, I all those that have passed before, all those that will be able to see once again, like David said, he said, "I know I will see." My son is paraphrasing again. I know I will see him again. He says, I will go to him. He knew that. David knew that. Here, here, John is saying some of the same things, saying, look, I, I want to show you eternal life. I've witnessed it. I know what it's like. I know who he is. That life, that eternal life is only found in Jesus Christ and in him alone. So he is that word of life. He is that word of life. But what we see here as we move down a little bit further is we see that this was from the father. He says that eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested unto us. Again, this references back to where we see that 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 that, that John mentions in, in John chapter one and verse two that the the, the the word is God. But he also mentions that the word was with God. We see that he mentions that he was with the Father. And and, and that is an important principle to, to really understand. Because if he was with the Father, then that means he has to be eternal himself. He has to be eternal himself. And the only one that can be eternal like that, and have no beginning and have no end, is God. Is is God himself. So what we find here is we find some important principles about this eternal life and about being from the Father. Turn over the book of Acts really quickly. Acts chapter 13. Let's take a look at a couple of verses in regards to eternal life. We'll take a look at a few verses regarding the, um, uh, from the Father. But what we find here in Acts chapter 13, and uh, let's take a look over here 
to verse uh, verse 48, and, and uh, Paul is uh, obviously preaching here, and in verse 46 it says, Paul and Barnabas wax bold. They begin to uh, talk to the Gentiles about this, and he says, uh, in verse 46, it says, Then Paul and Silas, uh, or excuse me, Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. That is a harsh verse. You know what he just told the Jews? You didn't want eternal life, so, uh, yeah, we went ahead and offered it to somebody that was willing to accept it. Somebody that readily received it. Why is that? Because the Gentiles knew what reprobate sinners they were. They, they found new ways of, of, of sinning. And, and here he makes it very clear. He says the Jews rejected. They received him not. They received him not. He came into his own. They received him not. He says for, uh, in verse 47, for so hath the Lord commanded us saying, I have sent thee to be a light of the Gentiles that thou shouldest be salvation, or excuse me, uh, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. He's saying, I'm sending you for the principle of telling everyone else. Why? Because the Jews are sitting there keeping it for themselves, if you will. They hate Gentiles. Just look at how much they hate Samaritans. They used it as a derogatory name towards Christ, saying, Thou art a Samaritan and hast the devil. That's how they viewed Samaritans. That's why in John 4, the Samaritan woman was like, What are you talking about? And, and, and I like that fact that in one of the first parts of, of, of the book of, uh, of John, we find that Jesus must needs go through Samaria because again, the Samaritans who were half-breeds and of, if you will, uns, uh, 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 what they, the, the Jews thought, uh, if you will, unseemly people. Because if you remember back when Samaria uh, was, was uh, uh, conquered, they took over the capital Samaria, which was of the northern kingdom. And uh, they had some issues with uh, people being killed by lions. So some of the people from uh, uh, that, the conquering kingdom said, hey, we need to get some of their Levites back over here. Tell us how to live in this land. And they did. They started showing them. And what wound up happening was the people that were left behind, which were the people that they didn't want to bring back. Those are the lame, the blind, the maimed, the people that were uh, not really uh, people that uh, were, were, were going to be good slaves. So they left all those unsavory characters behind. And then they sent others in to populate it. They populated it with their own. It was a recolonization process. And they go in there and they began to mix with one another. And this is why the Jews didn't like anybody that was from Samaria. But it's not because of the people. You know why people have issues with other people? It's because it reminds them of their own sin. It reminded them of their own sin. But here we find that, uh, you know, they, they didn't care for him. But here's, here's Jesus Christ. What does he do? He makes one of his first stops after talking with Nicodemus. He goes over there and he uh, has a conversation with a Samaritan woman. An amazing revival happens in that town. Right. He spends two days there. 
That's an amazing thing to think about. A combination of Jews and Gentiles, just like the body of Christ, he spends two days there and then leaves. That's a, it's a pretty amazing thing to think about. But what we find in this passage is we find uh, that, that in verse 48 it says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of God. The Jews weren't. Why? Because everything that they had worked to, co- to construct and correct, uh, erect was, was being destroyed by Jesus Christ. He was tearing down their temple. And what, what happened is they got upset about it. And he says the, the Gentiles, though, they were glad and glorified the word of God. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. They received that eternal life. I like this passage because it clearly shows that there were individuals that really didn't have Jewish background that knew that they needed a savior. They didn't need a lot of scriptural or Bible background. They were just being shown. And praise the Lord for that. And they glorified, as it says there, the word of the Lord. They glorified the word of the Lord. And they believed. And when they believed, they received that eternal life. Now, of course, the Calvinist jumps on that and they see the word ordained in there and they get all excited. And they got to calm themselves down. Because we're talking about those people that have trusted Christ are ordained unto something. Okay? They're ordained to that eternal life. That's what they get when they make the choice. When they make the choice. Don't get me started. Don't get me started. Turn to First John chapter 2. Man, I'll have to go into the back here and start preaching my sermon notes off of that, and we'll be here for the next three years. Um, man alive. What a doctrine. First uh, John chapter 2 and verse 25, going back over there again to just show, the, uh, uh, talking about this. Uh, this is a promise that Christ made. This is a promise that God made. He, he made a promise all the way back in the garden. There isn't always going to be this issue. In verse 25, it says, and this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. And well, who promised that? that? The Father did. God promised it. And God is not a man that he should lie. So when we start believing what God has promised, we lay hold of that eternal life and we can see it. We can see it. Now I can't visualize it. I can't put it into a frame of reference that my mind can understand. But I know for a fact that I have a home in heaven and I have eternal life with Jesus Christ. I understand that concept. I see that far. And that's the mark that I press towards. But here we find that John mentions this again, saying, hey, here's the situation. Uh, you know, God's promised this to us. God promised this. He promised it to the world. Well, who's going to, you know, who's going to receive this? Well, those that believe the word of God, those that believe the words of life. And we find in, in, in chapter 5, again, I know I'm kind of jumping ahead through this book, but in chapter 5 of First John, there's another couple of verses. In verse 11, again, he mentions this. He says, and this is the record that God has given to us, what? Eternal life. 
And this life is in his son. Now, this is important because he just identified who the son is and identified that the word is God. And he makes it clear in the previous part. So essentially, that life can only be found in the son of God. It can't be found anywhere else. But here's what what he says. It's given by God. It's given by God. It's not obtained. It's not in a way of works is what I'm saying. You can't go around and say, well, I'm going to be the best person and I'm going to work and I'm going to get this and I'm going to get that and uh, I'm going to get all these things. And while I'm being such a good person and helping people across the street and giving money to the homeless and and, and doing these things and so on and so forth, you know what? He's not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to say you got eternal life because of those things. Being a nice person doesn't give you access to anything spiritual. If you are outside the will of God, if you're outside the love of God, that's a problem. But what we find here is we see that God says he's going to promise it, and he gives it. God promised it, and he's given it. Are you trusting Christ as your Savior this morning? Or this evening, I should say? I don't know what time it is. It's all blending into one anymore. I can't tell the difference between the month of March, uh, April, and May any longer. So, um, but, but I mean, if you are, then you've been given eternal life. And you've been given it by God. I didn't give it to you. The person that gave you a gospel tract, the person that led you to the Lord didn't give it to you. God did. Right. It's not by the will of man. It's by God. In verse 13, uh, just kind of read through in verse 12, he says, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. I think that's pretty clear. You're witnessing to somebody that says, well, I believe in God. I believe in uh, kind of that uh, Unitarian Universalism type stuff where I believe that everybody's going to get to heaven whether they believe in Allah, Buddha, uh, um, you know, the chakra, or whatever else is out there. No, it makes pretty clear. This life that he's been talking about, that he identifies in the first chapter, is eternal life. And you don't have it if you don't have Jesus. He says, he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. What do you do with that? When people will argue, well, I don't know if that's really what the, that's what it means. It's English. It's English. Well, I just don't believe a loving God. A loving God died on the cross for you. What more do you want from him? Him to accept your sin? Well, he's not going to do that. Otherwise, he's not God. And there is no eternal life. Man, I tell you, that will really silence some people. Unless they're just argumentative and debaters and that's all they want to do. I tell you, sometimes when you go out soul winning and you do that, that's all they want to do is argue and debate. They have no intention of trusting Christ as their Savior. They just want to make your life miserable for the next few minutes. So you know what you have to learn to do? You have to learn to discern. When you cut it off, 
They start getting argumentative and they start pulling out stuff. Well, I don't know. How about we go back to what the Greek... No, let's not go back to what the Greek says. Let's just go and say, uh, maybe some other time, why don't you go ahead and here's an invite to our church. Why don't you stop by sometime and uh, when you get an opportunity. Love to discuss it more, but um, I'll see you later. Have a good night. Have a good day. Sometimes you got to cut it off. Because if they're refusing to listen... They're just wanting to debate. God says avoid that. Avoid that. There are people out there that want to do that. They just want to be debaters. And they just debate and debate and debate and debate and debate. And that's all they do. Why? Because they were probably chief captain of their debate team in high school. And they try to argue and they get you all flustered and things like that. So we came up with apologetics to argue against them and debate against them. Apologetics is all great and everything like that if you're learning it for yourself so you know exactly. But if you're learning it so just so you can debate people, ah, man. Look, it's this simple. You're a sinner. You need a Savior. Jesus Christ died on the cross as your Savior. He shed his blood for your sins so you could have forgiveness of sins, rose from the grave so you could have eternal life through him. And he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. What more do you need? Well, who was Cain's wife? (laughs) Who cares? Who cares? Obviously, it was his sister. And you're like, oh, I can't. Well, okay, things were a little different back then. Things were just a little different back then. We weren't as corrupt as we are today. People argue and they want to, you know, pull out all these weird stops and these weird quote unquote contradictions. And they sit there and they study those things just so that they can get you off track, just so that they can discourage you. You know what? Defeat them at their own game and learn how to discern and walk away. Don't give them a victory. Realize they're just people that refuse to listen and God will deal with them. Not your job to save their soul. Your job is just to throw out the seed and whether or not it's going to be received is up to the ground it falls on. So you just move on. Kind of got off track there. Anyways, moving down here to, 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 to verse 13, he says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the son of God. He's saying clearly, this is what he's writing to them about. He's writing to them for a reason. And he's saying, these things have I written to you. Uh, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. I love this verse because it makes it very clear that you may know. It's not a, I hope so. There's a, there's a religion that has the sin of assumption. That if you assume you're saved, then you're in big trouble. Because nobody can ever truly know whether they're saved or not. That's heresy. This is what Jesus Christ, uh, this is what God says. This is, this is, this is the word of God. He says that you may know that you have eternal life. And if you're saved, born again, child of God, you need to cling to this verse. And that will help with some of those discouraging times when you begin to doubt your salvation. I've been there. There's a lot of us that have been through that whole eternal security loop. And that'll drive you absolutely mad. 
But when you begin to realize that the power of the word of God is what preserves you and preserves your soul, and it's the Holy Spirit that has sealed you under the day of redemption, you may know that you have eternal life. And nobody's ever going to take that away from you. Nobody's going to take that away. We jump down to verse 20. It says, and we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true and that we uh, are in him that is true, even his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. I, I, I like how he answers this. He just called the Son, uh, uh, Son of God, Son Jesus Christ. He said, this is the true God and eternal life. Somebody argues against the Trinity, you go, what do you do with that? This is why the book of 1 John is often one of the verses, one of the books that's often attacked in its veracity and what they talk about. Well, that wasn't, no, 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 just, just stop. Just stop. And, and, and we begin to realize that this is an important principle because only a true, excuse me, only the true God can offer eternal life. You know what that means? A false God doesn't offer it. A false God's going to only offer you temporary pleasure in sin for a season. And then when it's done, it will cast you into the gutter and leave you there. Because that's what sin does. And whether this gutter winds up being this life and you look up and you receive Christ... You repent and, and, and all those things, or whether the gutter turns out to be uh, a lake of fire in the end, then whatever it is, it will leave you for dead. Because that's what it did when it found you. It killed you and will leave you for dead. It will leave you for dead. And only only Christ is the one that can save you. Religiosity, good works, being nice, being kind, being politically correct, none of that will save you. None of that will save you. Going back and talking a bit uh, to the first part of the book in, in chapter 1 where he talks about it's from the Father in this life, I wanted to mention this in, in several areas because, again, the, the Father the Father bears witness of the Son. Uh, he, Go to John chapter 5. Turn to John chapter 5. I want you to see some things in, in, in the book of John. <clears throat> if you study the book of 1 John, you got to read the book of John itself in the same. Okay, uh, they, they go hand in hand. To study one without the other, and again, this is what I was talking about with the principles that John teaches. About how John teaches us that we need uh, to understand how to study the Word of God to be approved unto to the unto God, not not ourselves, but uh, or men, but unto God. So when you do this and you look at this, you begin to realize, and as you read the Bible through over and over and over again, you begin to make those connections. I'll tell you, you begin to realize that you cannot read the book of First John without reading John the Gospel. You've got to do those together. Read John the Gospel, then read First John, or whether it's read First John, then go back to John the Gospel. Whatever it is, you, you, you've got to study those together because they support each other. They're in the same thought. They're in the same vein. 
But what we find here in John chapter 5 is we find in John chapter 5 verse uh, 23 this uh, discussion that Jesus Christ is having here um, uh, specifically with uh, some people that were desiring to, to kill him. In verse 5 it says, For the Father judges, uh, uh, excuse me, that's a, excuse me, chapter 5 verse 23 in verse 23 says, That all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Now here he is talking about eternal life, and he's talking about being manifested, and it makes it pretty clear that 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 uh, when when Jesus Christ is bearing witness of the Father, that God sent him, that God the Father sent Jesus here into this earth. He was made manifest, and he makes it very clear. He says, "Look, if you don't honor the Son, you're not honoring God." So when people start saying, well, I believe in God, that's great. What do you do with Jesus Christ? Do you honor him? Well, well, if you say he was just a good teacher, if you say, well, he was just a good man, that he had some sort of great, uh, uh, great political movement going, you're not honoring. That's not honor. Because that's not who he is. He made it very clear. God made it very clear that all, because in verse 22 it says, The Father judges no man, but has committed all judgment unto the Son. I wonder if they even listened to those words. Could you realize he just said, All judgment is committed unto the Son? You know, that's how people are going to be judged. Is your name in the Lamb's book of life? And if it's not, there is a problem. There is an eternity that is not pleasant waiting. And he goes further to say that all men should honor the Son. That's God's desire. So when people say they know God and that they uh, they believe in God, do they know that the will of God is to honor Jesus Christ? Oh, have you honored Jesus Christ? Have you received him as your, as your Savior, making him the preeminent one in, in your life? If you're not doing that honor, then you're not honoring God at all. That's a pretty harsh statement to begin to think about. I don't think they listened to that. I don't think they listened to the fact that God said that he basically told them that I'm going to be the one that does this judgment. But as we go through a little bit further in this same passage, jump down to verse 30 here. We can't read the whole passage for sake of time. He says, I can of mine own self do nothing. Now, this is important because he's making very clear of his connection with God as God the Father. He says, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. So talking about that judgment he's going to do, it's going to be just. It's going to be fair. My wife and I were actually talking about that. Uh, uh, this afternoon, we're talking about uh, courts and judgment and and things that are equitable and fair. And when you go into court, you know there's there's the emotion that uh, that may occur where a judge may say, "Well, I want to do it this way," but they have to do it according to law. They have to do it according to law. And what does God speak? God speaks law. God speaks legalese. And what we find here is we find very clearly he's saying, look, what I hear is how I judge. I'll tell you this. If you don't listen to the word of God, you're not going to know how to judge anything in this life. 
And you're going to make some pretty big errors in judgment. You ever made an error in judgment? No. No. We're one of those people that we, 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 we thought we were wrong once, but we were mistaken. You know, that type of stuff. Uh, it, it, it's, it, it's ridiculous. We think we can do no wrong. But we've made some errors in judgment. We all have. We all have. And what we find here is he says that he, what he hears is how he judges, and which means he's listening to the Father, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. Now, I like this because we talked about that life that God has given us that, that as, uh, from the words of life, he's now made it clear exactly how to live that life according to the will of God. Jesus Christ lived according to the will of the Father. He said, not my will be done, but thine. He says, this is how I want you to pray. Thy will be done. The issue is, is that we have pride and our will inserts itself. And we think we know better than God. Jesus Christ didn't think that way. Here he was in the flesh, going through all the temptations we went through. Going through all the things, God humbled himself to do this. And, and, and very clearly he said, no, I'm, I'm sent to do the will of the Father. I will do exactly what he tells me to do. And we find that, that right here, this is another passage that confirms that. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. Problem with our life and the problem that we have in this life, when we get out of sorts, is when in this life we seek our own will. We put our own will first. But that's not the case. That's not the case with Jesus Christ. And he says, as we move down a little bit further in this passage, uh, take a look at verse 36. He says, but I have, but I have greater witness than that of John, for the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. Now we know that very clearly in John chapter 3 that, uh, that this was already admitted because uh, Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the Jews and a Pharisee, came to Christ and said, we know thou art a teacher come from God, so for no man can do these miracles except uh, that thou doest except uh, God be with him. So they already readily acknowledged the fact of God's with you, but they still rejected him. They still rejected him. But here we find it very clear that he says, uh, Jesus Christ says, the works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. You know, we should live a life of a witness and a testimony that what works we do is that the Father, that God, has sent you into this world to be that light, to tell people about Jesus Christ, to be a witness of what he's done for you. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And the Father himself, in verse 37, which has sent me, hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any, uh, ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. And ye have not, uh, and ye have not his word abiding in you, for whom he hath sent him ye believe not. And then I like this part in verse 39, he says, search the scriptures. Search the scriptures. 
You know, they were lazy, and I don't think they went back and searched the scriptures. This is, this is, this is a Ken Stewart opinion. I think they were indignant about the fact that they were being questioned. Well, who are you? You're just some, some carpenter. Who are you? You're, you're a nobody. We're Pharisees. We're scribes. We're lawyers. We know the law. What are you talking about? He says, search the scriptures. For in them, you think you have eternal life. And they, that, uh, excuse me, and they are they which testify of me. You want to go back to where that eternal life comes from? It's found in the words of life. You know what he's doing? He's referring to himself. The word of God. He's saying all those scriptures, I want you to go back. You want to see how you get eternal life? I want you to go back to the scriptures and find it. Because everything that those scriptures are going to say are going to talk about me. That's what Jesus Christ says. That's what Jesus Christ says. Take a look at John chapter 8. John chapter 8. I mean, the whole book of John is littered with these things. John chapter 8, uh, in verses 16 through 18. John chapter 8, verses 16 through 18. And it says, And yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I and the Father that sent me. He's saying he's, he's there with God right now. He's there with the Father right now. That's an amazing thing to think about. And he says, it is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father has sent me, bear witness of me. He's saying, you know, God the Father bears witness of me. Says that he's true. So if they're not willing to listen to God, and they're, God the Father, and they're not willing to listen to Jesus Christ, do you really think they're going to listen to the Holy Spirit? So when somebody doesn't listen to the Father and somebody doesn't listen to the Word, they're not going to hear anything the Holy Spirit has to say. It's just not going to happen. Because they're basically excluding two-thirds of the whole. Somebody comes to your door and says, I made you a pie. Pick your favorite pie. Before I was allergic, found out that I was allergic to cherries, man alive, I love cherry pie. Oh, there was nothing better. Cherry pie with a bunch of whipped cream on top. Ooh, that's good stuff. Peach pie, I'm allergic to peaches too. That was good stuff. I'm allergic to apple pie too, and you're like, what type of pie can you have? Well, I can have chocolate pie. Uh, <laughs> somebody, you know, comes and makes a, makes a pie for you, and they, knock on your door and they say, hey, hey, hey here, here, here's a pie that I made for you. And they come and they, you open it up and you're like, oh, I'm so excited. And you realize that two-thirds of it has already been eaten. You'd be a little indignant. Be like, where's my pie? Well, I got hungry on the way over. And you ate two-thirds of a pie? You ate two-thirds of a pie? You can't ignore two-thirds of who God is. Can't ignore two-thirds of who God is. Turn to John chapter 14. We're going to look at two more passages in John chapter 14, and then we'll look at John 17, and then we'll wrap this part up. John chapter 14 in verse 24. John 14, 24. It says, He that loveth me not uh, keepeth not my sayings, and the word which he hears not mine, but the Father which sent me. Now this is an important principle. Because what he's saying is that God himself, the Father, 
is the one that's speaking. Now, I want you to think about that. He says, God the Father is the one that is speaking. They should have dropped under their knees right there and fell on their faces and realized exactly what was going on. Just like when Joshua was, you know, confronted the captain of the, the, the host of the Lord's army and he realized who it was and he dropped to his knees and his face and he, he worshiped. It's like Moses did. Why didn't they do that? Well, it's very clear because they didn't love him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. Now, this is an important principle because we start talking about love in John, in the book of John, or 1 John. It's an important principle. This is why John was the beloved disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? He was a hothead. He was, uh, had a little bit of a burn them all, let God sort them out type mentality. But uh, in the end, we find that John communicates some of the greatest attributes of who God is, that God is love. Without the love of God, we'd be nowhere. Without the love of God, we'd be in hell. But what we find here is we find that uh, he said that he that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. The inverse is true. If you decide you're not going to keep God's sayings, you're demonstrating God you don't love him. John gets a really, really up close and personal with that in, in the book of first John, because he says, if you don't love the brethren, if you don't love the brethren, love of God's not in you. And don't give me this, oh, I, I love them. I just don't have to like them. Don't, don't. Look, I'm not telling you to love their sin. Hate that. But love them. Show them that you love them. Show God that you love him by the way that you love others. That's an important principle. And I'll tell you this. Show God that you love him by keeping his word. By keeping his word. One last verse. I know I'm going to be uh, over time here, but uh, John chapter 17, verse 21. All these are pointing to the fact that uh, if you notice it, it's that the Father sent Jesus Christ. The Father sent him. And uh, we find in this passage uh, in uh, John chapter 17, uh, in verse 21, it says uh, they, that they are, this back up here, in verse 20, here he is praying at the Last Supper. This is the prayer that he prays before they go out and sing the hymn uh, and go into the garden. And uh, he says here in uh, verse 20, Neither I pray for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Well, who is he praying for? You and me. In John chapter 17, did you ever personalize that verse? That realizing as he's praying right there and there, he's praying for you. Because you're reading the book of John and you know what? You're reading what their words say. 
He wasn't just praying for the immediate people at the Pentecost. He was praying for more than that. He's praying for you and me. Right before his death, he was praying for you and me. And here we see this in verse 21, that they all may be one. That's his desire. Everybody wants Republicans and Democrats and right and left and liberals and conservative and people of every color of skin to just uh, agree and, and, and all be on the same page. Well, they can't do that without Jesus Christ. When will racism cease to exist? When Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning. When will all this division stop? When Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning. God considers it an abomination when somebody sows discord among the brethren. According to Proverbs, chapter 6. But he says uh, that they may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And that's one of the key things you got to ask people. When they say, well, I believe God, well, that's great. What do you believe about Jesus Christ? Do you believe Jesus Christ sent him as in he made him in the flesh and sent him here on earth to be a sacrifice for our sins? Do you believe that? If you don't believe that, then you don't have eternal life. God makes it pretty clear how we can have that. Now, next week, we'll talk a little bit more about the herd scene handled, a couple of things talking about bearing witness as we go through this. Uh, I'm not trying to run roughshod, and I'm not trying to also drag this out, but there are important principles. The book of 1 John is just packed with stuff. And, and, and to try to, 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 to go through and slowly, methodically grab every single part is, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot. And if you study the book of First John, you will get weary. You'll get tired physically because there is so much that's in here. So when we look at this, I, I just want us to understand that as we go back and we talk about other principles and we talk about bearing witness and we talk about uh, hearing, seeing, and handled and all those things, we're talking about these important principles that, that, that John is communicating, that God's using John to communicate to us so that we would have a, if you will, the surety of hope. So that we would begin to live that life that God wants us to live according to his will and according to his word. And that's the purpose behind what we do when we study this book. But let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again for an opportunity, Lord, to study your word. Thank you again for what you've shown us this this evening. And Lord, I pray that we would meditate upon these things. Lord, as we continue to build into that principle, uh, the main principle of the book, as we continue to see exactly what you want us to do and how we're to demonstrate and bear that witness of you in our lives, that, Lord, I pray we would just have this desire to follow after you in the pattern that you've set, the example that you have laid for laid down for us, that, Lord, we would truly seek and desire to know more about you and know how to follow your will and know how to live this life you have given to us. 
Thank you again, Lord, for all that you've done for us. Pray you take us home safely tonight. In all of this, I ask and pray in your son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen.